Hello, welcome to Once More with Commentary. We are a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Ginny. And today we're talking about, um, oh my god. This year's girl. (laughs) This year's girl. Wow, (laughs) I just had that. This year's girl and the prodigal on Angel. Um, Guess which one I was so excited about. (laughs) I was just going to say the same thing. (laughs) I know you couldn't wait to watch a Kate-centric episode that ends on her being pouty about something that is not anybody's fault. (laughs) Well, I mean... Not to get it too into the angel stuff right now. She had legit <laughs> reasons to be upset. Ugh. I, okay. Yeah, but we'll get into that. Yeah. I, I did at the very, like, I was like five seconds into the, like, previously on angel, and I went, mm-hmm. oh, no. I know. That was <laughs> how like, I felt, too. I was like, It oh, was great. like literally every scene that Kate has ever been in, and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is going to end poorly for, <sighs> for me. Um, And it did. But before it we did. get into that, how are you, yeah. Jenny? Um, good. Yeah? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. We're recording during the week after work, so, like, this is a little different than our normal vibe. I maybe had a drink, <laughs> which is not our, my normal state for when we record. <laughs> so if I seem a little punchy, that might be why. It's different from our normal vibe where I'm, like, just woken up. <laughs> <laughs> or it's 7 a.m. for you or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I usually I don't make you get up until eight, but it is pretty bad schedule for you. Yeah. Well, good, good, depending on what you're trying to get done. It's Let's just say it's very good for my productivity. It's like yeah. not so good for my energy <laughs> levels while we're recording. Um, yeah. And I feel like I, even though I have not had a drink right now, I feel like very like punchy pick, as well. It's yeah, very infectious. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, I noticed that already. Uh, <laughs> we were pre-chatting. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been a fine week. It's been a lot of train problems, which I don't love, but it's been getting warmer. Finally, it's supposed to be like 78 here tomorrow, which is crazy. It was like 50, it was like 50 degrees today. It was like 30 degrees yesterday. I was like, I, I just can't. I mean, like, I know it's, it's very like boring to hear people complain about the weather because who doesn't have complaints about the weather? But like, I just, first of all, I'm ready for winter to be over. But also, if it could just happen on a more gradual scale, I would really appreciate it because I can't prepare for, like, I have to wear a down jacket one day and then two days later, like, maybe no jacket. I just, like, I don't have the the wardrobe flexibility for this. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I agree that maybe, sorry, guys, nobody wants to hear about the weather, but I feel like this year the weather is, like, insane and, like, actually, like, it's not small talk. It's, like, have it's, like, this giant mystery that's happening and everybody's like it's weird have you seen it like what's yeah yeah um I'm supposed to go to the east coast next month and my coworker was like oh what's the weather gonna be like and I was like how could you I don't possibly know what to tell that? you it's <laughs> <laughs> like, I like I feel like this is not a normal year so I don't know how to address this question yeah. like until a week out like let's just wait and see so and even then you might be having to Having to pack for like four different climates. I mean, I'm fully prepared to do that. I've I have practiced for that all last That's year. True. So That's I'm true. a pro at packing now. I think the thing that really kills me now is that I'm our my my office is also pretty unpredictable climate wise. So oh. it's like even today I was like, it's finally warm. I'm gonna wear a lighter jacket and a short sleeve shirt. And then I was just like cold at my desk all day. I'm, so I don't know. Tomorrow's yeah. supposed to be 70 or higher, hotter, but like it might be freezing in my office. 
my office is reliably Arctic, so I, mm-hmm. like, see people come into work in dresses, and I, like, don't understand these people. Like, yeah. I I can't function that way all day at work, like, freezing to death. Like, yeah. you know, I was really sad that the, like, you know, at the end of the year, they usually give us, like, a hoodie or, like, a, you know, oh. something. <laughs> and I was so sad this year. It was, like, a pair of very nice, like, pants, like, you know, like, mm-hmm. running pants or something. And they're very comfy. But what I really wanted was a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who does? We'd, everybody just needs branded office snuggies because it's yeah. just a problem everywhere you go. Yeah, you know I, what? That is true. I don't need like a pair of clothing or like pants or like a backpack or like I don't need things that mm-mm. like I have to take out into the world because like honestly <laughs> branded things like drive yeah. me nuts. Like I went yeah. to a concert last weekend and it was like pouring rain and I knew I was gonna have to like donate whatever umbrella I brought. Oh, and I like right, very intentionally picked one I got from work because I was like never gonna use this. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Like that's what I do with that stuff is like just junk it. But like I feel like a you can brand nice it all you snuggie. want. If I'm staying in the office, exactly. Who fine cares? with me. Like yeah. I love my branded hoodies, but they live in my desk, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh well, well. I guess corporate first world female problems. I don't know. Yeah, all the men always seem to be hot, so I don't really know yeah. what's going on. Anyway, because now we've had this riveting conversation about <laughs> the riveting both inside and, and out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, are you ready to talk about this year's girl? I am. Uh, I, because this year's girl. I think girl, I have a lot to say about it. Yeah. But this year's girl is. Yeah. I almost said fa- our favorite girl, but she's not. But <laughs> She's not. But I'm so glad she's back. Yeah. So why don't we get into it? Yeah. Why don't you tell us what happened? Okay. <laughs> so I think that, you know, the gist of this episode is that. Buffy and her friends are trying to figure out what to do next about Adam and Riley after kind of the events of last week's episode. But meanwhile, Faith wakes up from her eight month long coma and decides to wreak havoc on Buffy's life (laughs) Um, with a little bit of help from the mayor who has left her some help before he died. So, you know, at the beginning of this episode, it opens on this pretty interesting dream sequence. It's actually one of my favorite dream sequences in the whole show. I might have squealed. (laughs) Yeah, where Buffy and Faith are kind of like, they are in, I think that's, I thought it was Buffy's room, but now that I'm picturing it again, maybe it was Faith's apartment um, that the mayor rented out for her. But either way, they're like making a bed and they're just having this like sort of cryptic conversation. And at the end of it, Buffy, you know, in in a very dreamlike fashion, realizes she has a knife stuck in Faith's stomach again, much like the way she put her in a coma. Um, so she kind of, I think, uh, I'm going to stop that anyway. So (laughs) moving on, um, like I said, Buffy and the Scoobies are trying to figure out what to do about, not really about the initiative, but about Adam. And also at the end of the last episode, Riley was kind of like taken back into the initiative because he was wounded. So they're trying to figure out a way to get him out. You know, does he need to be rescued? Does he want to be rescued? And how are they going to do it? So they're going through all these elaborate plans, but wouldn't, you know, Riley just shows up at, um, are they at Giles's place? Yeah. Or they they at Xander's place. Yeah. Either way. Uh, Riley shows up and because he's walked out of his own accord. So it's nice because Riley is, I think, you know, Riley's starting to come to terms with the fact that the initiative might not be what he thought it was and that he and Buffy still really care about each other. So he's going to come back into the fold with them. Um, But like I said, meanwhile, Faith wakes up from her coma and um, 
she escapes from the hospital, uh, find is delivered a mysterious package from beyond, like kind of from the mayor. It's something that he set up before he died. He left her this video message and this weird like trinket that he kind of gives her, I don't mean either vague instructions or specific ones maybe that we didn't see on how to use it. So she shows up at UC Sunnydale to kind of taunt Buffy. They get into a fight. Um, And that's kind of, you know, like I said, Buffy now knows that Faith is back. So she is warning Riley about it, but she forgets to warn her mother. So Faith instead goes to like kidnap Joyce at their house. Luckily, but Buffy steps in to like save the day at the last second, except that she doesn't know about this weird tool weapon thing that Faith had. And at the very end of the episode, Faith and Buffy like clasp hands and it is clear that they've switched bodies. Um, Meanwhile, one thing that I left out is that it also seems the police are aware that Faith is, you know, Faith is wanted for all the things that happened before she went into the coma, both by the police and by the Watchers Council. So at the end of the episode, um, the police have dragged Faith, who's now Buffy, away. Was it the police or was it the Watchers? It was the police. It was the police. Um, Anyway, so that's more or less (laughs) what's going on here. Um, I'm excited for next week's like follow up to this. This is obviously like a two part episode or, you know, I don't, if it didn't end on a to be continued, it's like very clearly a to be continued situation. I think it did end on a to Um, be continued. It's like, I don't even watch these episodes and take (laughs) aggressive notes about them. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I, I know I like next week's episode more, but there was still so much good stuff in this one. And it, it is kind of one of those where it's like, it didn't really have like a, you know, there's not like a clear beginning, middle and end to this episode, I don't think, because, you know, nothing is really resolved at the end of it so much as things are set up. Um, but I, like I said, I think they still managed to do a lot of interesting things. Um, maybe starting out with that dream sequence. Yeah, I, I want to get into the dream sequence, but I do. You brought up a really good point. I think the structure of this episode is really interesting because, you know, it starts with the dream sequence, the first you know, kind of indication we get is like Faith is kind of like, well, we don't know for a while into the episode that she's going to wake up, but mm-hmm. um, we do get a sense that like she's going to be a part of this episode. But then we immediately switch to like Buffy and the gang trying to figure out what to do about Riley. And then we right. kind of switch to Riley. So it's like, it's essentially an episode about Faith waking up and like dropping in on Buffy's life. But I really like the way that Faith is kind of asleep in the background and we're mm-hmm. getting a kind of a refresher of like, this is what's happening in Buffy's life, right? Like right. Riley's coming back in and all this stuff. And I think it's really telling that, you know, the first thing, like Faith goes to Giles, which I didn't even know she knew where Giles lived. Yeah, um, that is a little weird. And she's like peeking in on the life and like she can kind of see what she's missed. Like, you know, she, she sees mm-hmm. Riley, she sees everyone together. And I kind of like that juxtaposition of like – even in the structure of the story, Faith remains kind of on the outside yeah. until she like comes in at the end and she wants to be a part of it. And then she comes in and, you know, um, comes to Joyce and like all of that. But I, I think the structure is like kind of clever because it's kind of a misdirect in some way. It is. And I guess unlike, I feel like this has kind of been a, a theme in season four too, where it's like a lot of things aren't necessarily quite following the like kind of more traditional arc you know, storyline arc format. Um, but they still, for the most part are working. I mean, 
we have our obvious qualms with Adam and Mm -hmm. that particular part of this season. But on the whole, I think that, you know, like, like in contrast to Angel, where it's like, even when they do follow these traditional story models, they're still just having so many problems making a story interesting. Like in this one, there is no clear beginning. There's no clear middle. There's no clear end, but it's all very interesting. Like I loved watching this episode, even though, you know, I, again, like I can't, and, and even as many times as I've seen this, I don't exactly remember how far it gets into the story in this episode versus the next one. So it's like, I, I honestly don't exactly know where it's going to cut off. And even with that, I just felt like, Oh, I still really care about everything that's going on. It goes to Riley and Buffy. And I'm really interested in that move, you know, that like growth and that like resolution. And then it goes to faith and I'm really interested in that. And then there's these really interesting dream sequences. So like it could be really hectic and like unfocused, but it still worked for me. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I love the way like the sort of um, scattered nature of it kind of like it's not annoying. It like keeps you no, on your toes. It, and yeah. like having seen this episode as many times as I have, like I was constantly like, and then this is going to happen. Oh, oh, no, that's not. Like, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And exactly. I think also because it is a two parter, like there is crossover between the plot that I kind of um, in my mind probably mush them together. But Same, like, yeah. you know, I thought Faith was going to wake up right before the credits or I mean the opening Same, credits yeah, and then she doesn't. Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh, right. This is kind of a slower process because we mm-hmm. get we get faith side of things, which is all of the dream sequences, which is sort of like in some ways, like kind of sets you up to feel sort of sympathetic to faith. But then when she wakes yeah. up, you're immediately like, oh, right. Oh, faith right. is yeah. like deserving <laughs> of all of this. But the dream sequences kind of work as their own parallel story. And it's really cool. So it is. Um, and yeah. So let's talk want, about the dream sequences. Yeah. Because, I was gonna say, Do you want to get into those? Because I think yeah. they're really well done. They, they are. We talked and, before about how this show does <laughs> dreams really well. Yes, I think. But this is definitely my favorite, I think. Well, sorry, I shouldn't say definitely. This is probably my favorite one, the, specifically the opening one that is from Buffy's perspective, because I didn't mention this in my summary, but there's several, a couple of dream sequences and the, the latter ones are told, you know, they're not told, but they're clearly kind of more from Faith's perspective. Yeah, but the first one is sort of fuzzy. Like, is it Faith's dream or right. is, it, is it the same? Is it the same one was when um, Faith is still in the coma at the beginning in the third season after Buffy stabs her mm-hmm. and they're kind of like, is this your dream or mine? And like, we're not exactly. sure if it's like a shared coma slayer dream thing or if it's like different. And, and that's the it, one where, that you know, must have even, yeah. So it's it the one where Faith apartment. tells Buffy how to like what the mayor's weakness is and all of right, that. And right, this right. one's very similar to that. And I think you were debating whether it was in Buffy's room or Faith's apartment. I think it was Buffy's room because mm. I'm inclined to think that because, oh, because of the little sister line. Yes. So that, and so that when okay. this episode first aired is like, oh, like, the little sis is obviously Faith, right? Like she's the, mm-hmm. she's older mm-hmm. than Buffy maybe, but she's the younger Slayer. Yeah. Um, but as we will learn, this is amazing foreshadowing. Yes, yes. I That was the part that made me squeal because I like, I, I always get that line confused with a later dream sequence that is also a bit foreshadowing. Okay. But this one is the one where Faith is like, like Buffy's like, I got to get ready and Faith's like, oh yeah, little sis coming. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. There's so much to do. I know. I know. I don't know why I like it so much because it's not even, you know, I don't know. Well, I think I like it because it's like something that the first time around, like you would, obviously you don't you know, but like, know. How could it's you a possibly? gift that keeps giving once you yeah. know what's going to happen. And like, honestly, I don't know if that's intentional. I don't know if the writers knew what they're doing with this, but maybe. 
I think at this point they definitely would have because we're in the latter half of this season. You know, I definitely yeah. think I definitely think that that one is intentional and it's so specific. You know, I don't know. But like you're saying, I mean, it does kind of make sense. If you were just watching this for the first time and you had never seen anything, it totally makes sense if she's talking about herself too. Because yeah. Buffy is trying to get things ready for when, once she finds out that Faith is awake, she is trying to get her life ready and prepare everything in order to face off with her again. So it works kind of on a prophetic level in that way. And then also in this pretty literal way where, hey, surprise, Buffy's going to have a little sister that comes up <laughs> down the line. <laughs> Yeah. That said, it is still several episodes away. You know, it's not, this isn't episode 22 of the season. This is episode 15, so. Right. And in episode 22, we get another dream. A different dream. dream Yeah. So. I'm really interested to watch that one. I've had different reactions to it over the years, but anyway. I think I, I don't know if I've mentioned before on the podcast, Mm -hmm. but you and I have definitely talked about it. it is probably one of my favorite finales which yeah. you are not in agreement with <laughs> no but I'm excited to talk about it yeah well I want to talk about the other dreams that yeah. are from Faith's perspective I I guess I you know I when I when I was watching that opening one kind of like you were saying we saw them have a shared dream that was a very similar kind of feel to this one. And so my assumption, maybe even every time I think back on this episode is like, oh yeah, they have that one shared dream again in this episode. And I forgot that Faith has her own little dream sequences and, you know, that are so much more like biased against Buffy. Oh, Buffy is the villain of Faith's dreams. But I guess it's just like, I, I can't decide if I like that or not. I think I, I do, but I also really liked the idea that like, oh, in this dream world, when they're really using their Slayer powers, things are a little bit more realistic, even if they're vague, kind of. Like, if I like the idea of that first one being a shared dream. And for all I know, I mean, it still could have been. It's There's no way for us to know that Faith didn't also see that, I think. But, it will, but, it, but I don't exactly know what to make of it. I guess Faith really, really has bought in that hardcore to her story, which is that Buffy tormented her, that Buffy took things away from her, and that she didn't do anything to deserve it. I mean, it's obviously very telling about her. Right. I think that's the point of them because, you know, like in a, like as Buffy is outlying all the possibilities when she finds out that Faith has awoken, like one of those possibilities is Faith is, you know, sorry for what she did. She's had eight months to heal and like it's kind of healed whatever was going on mentally or whatever. But we see that even within that coma, Faith is sort of doubling down on that narrative of I'm the victim, Buffy's the villain, and these are all the things that, you know, she's doing to me. Like, she's killing the mayor. She's mm-hmm. um, trying to kill me. And, you know, never mind that in real life Buffy had to kill Faith because Faith really gave her no choice and mm-hmm. Faith was an evil murderer. And then, like, so y- you almost sort of get on Faith's side, but there's a weird tone to the dreams that kind of, yeah. like, you know something's off. And then when Faith wakes up, instead of feeling sorry for her, like, oh, this poor girl, she just came out of a coma, she's confused, she doesn't know what's happening. Like, when she immediately starts beating people up and murdering right, demons, right. Like, you're like, you're kind like, of oh, all ready right. to be like, right, got it. And, like, these dreams kind of help you get there, I think. I guess that's interesting, though, because what I was trying to say before is that I... I don't know. I liked the idea that maybe even in, because she can't put up these facades, like because a dream is sort of more subconscious, you can't maybe put up all the walls and the facades that that Faith clearly has 
builds in her like real life that even that in the dreams she could recognize what had actually happened. So the fact that she then has dreams where she is clearly out of touch with what happened in reality. I just, I liked my fantasy version where I was like, Oh, that's right. Faith on a deep level does get what happened. And then immediately cut to these other dreams where I was like, Oh no, you're, you're just wrong. But I just, I liked living in that rosy moment for a minute where I was like, that's right down deep down under all of it. Faith knows what happened. And I was like, Nope, she doesn't. She doesn't at all. At least not right now. Um, so I guess that's not really anything against the episode. That was totally just my, like my, my wish, wishful thinking that like she'll, she'll come around. Like, why would I even think that? I know what happens. (laughs) I don't know, but, like, I mean, you're not wrong in that, like, it's fun to look at this episode and have sort of this idea of, like, wish fulfillment of, like, who Faith could have been. Yeah, yeah. But, like, they're kind of, in some ways, like, reminding you why it wasn't, like, why there wasn't a happy ending, I guess. But I guess the flip side is that the other thing that is tainting my view of this is that I know what's going to happen in the next episode of Buffy and I know what's going to happen in the next episode of Angel and I know what's going to happen in season seven of Buffy. So like, I do know that Faith is going to, this isn't the last that we're going to see of her and that she is going to eventually sort of, at least on some level, come to terms with what happened. So I think that was also kind of coloring my perception where I was like, well, since I know that down the line, like things are going to turn around for her, I just was kind of more willing to like see that in the episode, even if it wasn't really there. (laughs) Right. Or was it there? Because that is all going to happen. I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think the dream sequences, they do them to kind of like mess with the audience a little Mm -hmm. bit because you can kind of pick your, and like you can pick your interpretation, right? Of like, oh, it means this or no, actually it means this or. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of, and and I think it's fun and I think it's actually clever if you're thinking, again, maybe I'm giving way too much credit here, but it definitely (laughs) adds to to the longevity of like, you know, the The series of like, you can rewatch it because you get something new about it every time. Right, right, right. Yeah. That Hmm. might be over crediting, but that's all right. Well, anyway, I guess just to kind of restate something that you, I think, touched on, I do feel like kind of. Like my, like I said, my reaction to the very first dream sequence is like, this feels like it's somehow getting at some deeper truth between the two of them. Whereas with the ones that are more faith oriented or like the faith perspective dreams, it does feel like something's off. They feel a little bit more like cheesy horror movies and like, and and in a way that I, I do think is intentional to kind of tip off that like, this isn't Obviously, it's not real because none of them are real, but like, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying at all? Like you were saying like, oh, those ones feel a little bit off. I think it was more than just feel off. I think they are filmed and kind of written in a way that makes them feel even a little bit more like heightened, cheesy than the normal Buffy episode. Well, like, I think you're not wrong. Like the symbolism like crawling is out like of the grave, you know, your, just like, yeah. Uh, yeah and the okay. symbolism <laughs> is like really in your face, like the yeah, mirror yeah. with the snake and all yeah. of that. And, oh, although that was really cute though. Yeah, it's great. But I also love the thing about those where he's, because of the setting, like the picnic and all that stuff, it like really drives home also like the mayor's kind of old fashionedness. Like, you know, they're just out for a Sunday picnic, you know, in the park or whatever with his best gal or whatever. Yeah, yeah. His daughter, I think. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to talk briefly about the mayor. I mean, he's obviously not a huge, well, I mean, he's a 
pretty important part of this episode. I'm so happy that we got to see him again, even if it was briefly. Um, Alex was really happy about him being there, too. He started saying, making a comment to me about something in the episode uh, while the mayor was holding his little snake and, like, talking to Faith. And then he, like, paused the episode and rewound it. And he was like, no, 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 every line that the mayor says is precious, <laughs> so we can't, like, talk over it. Uh, which I thought was hilarious. Also, everything that the mayor says is precious, and we, you know, we do have to savor it. A thing that kind of struck me in this episode, so outside of the dream sequences, is so Faith gets delivered this like package that the mayor left for her in the case that his plan didn't work and he died instead of them taking over the, the world as a demon and his little demon pal or whatever. And, you know, I think I, especially in season three, I am inclined to believe kind of the best of the mayor, oddly enough, in this, in his relationship with Faith. I think that in season three, he mostly he at least believes that he's looking out for her, even if he's not necessarily looking out for her correctly. But for whatever reason, like something about watching his video message to her, like really, I was like, Oh, I mean, again, maybe he thinks he's doing the right thing for her, but like his message to her overall is like, Hey, we lost and you're definitely going to like, you, you're not going to survive anymore, but why don't you do this one last thing for me? (laughs) And it was a lot more manipulative, manipulative than I felt like he had really been before. Not in a way that I thought was inconsistent, but in a way that was like, kind of reminded me that like, oh, even for him at the end of the day, I had been giving their relationship kind of a lot of, I don't want to say credit exactly, but like, you know, I thought the best of it, but right. He is a villain and he maybe does care about Faith as much as he cares about anybody or a little more than he cares about anybody else. But he still is a guy who doesn't want what's best for her. Or at least he puts his own needs far above that. Or he doesn't know what's best for her, maybe, is the problem, too. No, but I'm saying that, like, his literal message to her was, like, you're not going to live because in this new world since I'm not running it. Instead, you know what I mean? Like, nobody who loved you would tell you, like, yeah, you're totally screwed, so you should just give up. (laughs) Well, you know what? I was thinking about that in the timing of that message because he mentions, like, she's in the hospital, like... She had just gone into a coma. And what really struck me was more the mayor sounding really defeatist, like, oh, if you're reading this, then I'm dead. And, like, you know, he didn't, in the third season when he's gearing up to the Ascension, he never once seemed that he doubted at all that this plan was going to to work. So it's a very interesting turnaround that we see of this defeatist attitude and, like, what he's telling Faith of, like, you know, you're basically screwed. Like maybe it comes out of that of like, he's starting to consider alternate options. And then he realizes at that point that he's gotten her into a, into a place where if he's gone, he can't protect her from the police or anything where presumably maybe he was doing that while she was, um, working for him. And so, you know, maybe it's one of those things where he's realizing he's gotten her into a really deep hole legally and otherwise morally, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And so maybe that's right. what it is. I don't know. I, I mean, I think both of them make sense. <laughs> but it was still a lot. I guess I, I guess at the end of the day, like that short appearance of the mayor gave me a lot to think about just in terms of what. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's almost a case guess, of like, is it's a retcon for sure. And I'm not sure if it works. Like I, I want it to work. So I'm like, I like go with it because I like where the story goes because of this thing. Right, right, right. You're right in that it's a little bit off. But I don't think, I don't, that's not my ultimate conclusion. Ultimately, I think it still works. I think it does, I think it is important to remember that even if this guy is 
even if he is doing what he thinks is best for her, he is at the end of the day, a very weak person, right? Like he's evil and he's weak and he doesn't, he can't do these things that are like kind of more noble. So the fact that he does, I think he genuinely does believe that like, yeah, if things don't work out, then we should just, well, maybe not that we should give up, but he's totally happy to tell that to her. I think kind of is more an example of him being a villain who's looking out for himself that than an example of him being a defeatist. And okay. he is a really bad guy, you know, and it's like, it's so easy to forget because I love him so much as a character and because he's oh, but so like, charming, but don't like, don't f- doubt for a second that he would ex- throw faith under exactly, any bus if exactly, it meant achieving Exactly. Ascension. I think yeah. that's what I'm saying that okay. like, oh, this is more of a like example of like, and not to say that he's doing it super consciously, but I think a little bit, you know, if you're a bad guy, you're a bad guy, even if you're trying to be good. <laughs> yeah. I had something else I wanted to talk about and now I totally forgot was it about the mayor? No. Oh, it's about so it's about Faith going to Joyce. So Oh, okay. Faith is not wrong to assume Joyce would be a target. Like yeah. but she she somehow figures out and this probably comes from her own cynicism and like ideas of how relationships work, but she does obviously come to the correct conclusion that Buffy hasn't, hasn't really been mm-hmm. around that much now. That's perfectly normal for an eight, uh, 18, 19 year old in their first semester at college yeah. to like be living the college life and not going home every weekend. Yeah. Although it is sort of double, like defined nicely by the fact that, you know, Joyce hasn't been in any episodes since I yeah. think like Halloween, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since we've seen Buffy's yeah, mom. Yeah, and I've been missing so her. It is kind of like a surprise when you're like, oh yeah, Joyce. And That's then right. also yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Faith isn't entirely wrong, but she's not also entirely correct. Where no, I know. Her assumption is that Buffy has moved on and there's no, like, it's not just a normal part of growing up. It's like a temporary, or I mean, a permanent shift. Whereas like, right, right. obviously Buffy's going to figure out her mother is a target and she's going to come help her. And Joyce knows this. And yeah, like, yeah. I love that scene where like, Me too. Faith is really trying to like, make her feel bad and you almost think she's kind of succeeding and then Buffy comes flying through the window and it's just like oh hey like I knew you were gonna come I like but I but I felt the opposite too though where I was like there is no part of Joyce that is believing this because Joyce is a mature adult like she's not a 19 year old girl who thinks that yeah someone leaves you for a week then it means that they don't love you anymore like I don't think that Joyce ever believed anything that she was saying she might have been scared but I think it's like, like Obviously, some of what she's saying is, like, hitting a little close to home. Sure, but, like, sure. I don't – I think you're right. Like, there's no way she's, like, in any doubt that Buffy is coming. But Yeah. I mean, and it's just such a – I guess it just also, I think, highlights kind of, yeah, that, like, Faith has these really warped senses of what relationships are. I mean, and it's very sad, but also, like, she can't make a convincing, persuasive argument to Joyce because Joyce knows better. You know, like, nothing about that rang true. I, at least for me, I was a lot more on the side of, like, yeah, Faith, you're saying a lot of things that, like, sound like they're coherent, but they're not. <laughs> but it's a great, I mean, Buffy says it, it best. Totally, it's, like, I typical it. classic Faith, which yes, she always yes. does, is, and Buffy's, like, you always mouth off things about you that you don't understand. Yes, and it's, yes. like, it's true. Like, Faith is always close, but she's never exactly right. And yeah. that that little bit of, like, percentage where she's wrong is the part that always gets her in trouble. Yeah. She did it with Angel. She did it in this. You know, yeah, you're right. But I said this for a second. I'm super happy that Joyce is back. I was <laughs> thrilled to see her. And also I was thrilled to watch her just like be so sassy to Faith. Because oh, like, yeah. I, I think you also could tell that it was really bothering Faith. That like Joyce wasn't scared of her. 
At least not really. Yeah. You know, I mean, she does know that, like, obviously, so, Faith, obviously Faith could, like, kill her in a second if she wanted to. But I don't think, you know, Faith would just, yeah. I'm sorry, Joyce was just so, like, sassy about it. Speaking of, like, prior relationships with Faith, like, obviously Joyce knows everything about Faith because, like, you know, she was there for a lot of it. But mm-hmm. I could not remember. So Spike and Faith never met. Oh, yeah. I guess that but makes I, sense. But I really assumed that they had and I guess I'm wrong Hmm. so but I I can't remember a time when they would have well because Spike's not even really in season three except he does come back during the episode where Cordelia gets impaled yeah because I think that might have kidnaps them and I think Faith was there for that but maybe she wasn't so I don't think she was I don't think she was in the show yet oh maybe well I have to go it it does make sense to me though that they wouldn't have met because he's really not around no. And they raise, you know, the tricky issue of, like, how does Buffy explain Faith to Riley? Although I don't yeah. think it's really as tricky as they kind of make it sound because, like, well, I Faith think sort explaining- of tried to steal her boyfriend, but not in a way that Buffy even has to mention. Like, that part of the Faith story is, like, very sort of... <laughs> yeah. I guess Inco- she, inconsequential I guess I don't think so though because the whole reason that she stabbed Faith was because Faith she needed Faith's blood to save Angel oh I guess that's true so yeah. like I was I thinking think, of like the story when Faith like when they figured out right, Faith was when like, they, like double, fate, yeah. double agent yeah but there is yeah and I think you know I Buffy doesn't say this like quite out loud but like yeah she's gonna now have to explain to her boyfriend her demon hunter boyfriend that her last boyfriend was a vampire like it is kind of tricky. <laughs> and maybe she should have told him. <laughs> maybe. But I do want to talk about Riley and Buffy for a second. Okay. Because I did think that their little kind of reunite, re, what's the word for that? Reun- the scene where they reunite was pretty sweet. I thought it was very nice. I was really happy when Riley showed up. I feel like he says a lot of the right things in this episode, even though it's also clear, again, that he's like still going through a lot, like his whole worldview and his whole sense of himself has been like shaken up and kind of like taken away from him. So he's like doing his best to hold it together. But like, I really thought that their scene together was sweet where they were just, you know, making out or whatever. It was. And also (laughs) I think it's notable that Buffy sort of, um, doesn't say, but also says that she loves him because she doesn't outright say, I love you, but she says Faith's going to go after the people that I love. And she's, and she says that when she's telling Riley to be careful. So, I was like, I got you, Buffy. You yeah. almost said it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think for me, like you had mentioned earlier, is like this is part one of a part two of a two-parter. And I I love this one for setup, but I do think the meat of this two-parter is in the, is the, the next, next one. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this is a great setup of like a reminder of who Faith um, is. And, you know, imagine watching this episode and not having watched the previous seasons you could be yeah. a little bit lost, but in some ways they do a good way of setting it up and in some ways not so much, but... Yeah. So just some other weird things that are going on in the background. These are not consequential observations. Um, I, you know, we haven't been talking about Xander much this season, partially because he's like not as big of a part of it as he was, which I'm only just now really realizing. You know, he's in all the episodes, but he's not like in the forefront the way that he often was in the high school season seasons. Um, but also I think we both kind of acknowledge that like, oh, they've made him a lot less gross and it's so much more enjoyable when you can just laugh along with him. Case in point, this episode, they're like trying to figure out how to use this blaster that Buffy got from the initiative and he can't figure it out. 
And then when Riley shows up, like Buffy and Riley are having this like kind of heart to heart in the foreground. And then in the background, Xander is just like casually electrocuting himself with the blaster. I don't think I ever noticed that before, but it was so funny to me for some reason. Oh man. Anyway. And then Riley just picks it up and turns it off. Right, right, right. But it was more so that like, I hadn't ever noticed that while they're having a conversation that you're actually paying attention to literally in the background, Xander is just like zaps himself. Yeah, oh, I I wonder if it's something of like they learned to it's better to make him the comic relief. I don't But they always thought he was the comic relief. It's just that his version of comedy was less palatable. <laughs> right. I do agree with you that there's kind of like a reset on his character, if only because he's more in the background and so all the problems we were talking about aren't as yeah. apparent because he doesn't get the chance to like well, he's not disgusting because he gets, doesn't get the chance to be disgusting. But also, yeah. I think a lot of times he's displaying, like Xander has been allowed to mature, which I think is really nice. Yeah. Um, but also, this I is know, something that yeah. I I've talked about before. I think it's intentional. Like, it works. the The big you know blowout that happens later in the season only works because you've had these character dynamics going on throughout the entire season. Like it's just another element that they've structured really well of like yeah. nobody's spending time together. Like yeah. Buffy yeah. and Willow are together yeah. more because oh, they're right. at school, you're but right. increasingly you're Willow right. is off with Tara or doing her own things. Yeah. They're not, you know, they're not taking down the big bad in a, or the demon of the week together. Right. You know, like right, right, Giles right. gets you're turned right. into totally right. a demon yeah. and um, everybody kind of helps, but it's, Riley and Buffy who are taking down Ethan in the end and all the initiative stuff kind of is very Riley and Buffy focused and everybody else is kind of just hearing about it secondhand so I think it's intentional but also like it's a nice break yeah yeah but no that's a great point too though and I don't know how we haven't actually said this before but like there's been so many fewer like monsters of the week this episode you know this season Mm -hmm. even when there is a monster like, there's the Polgara demon, but that story is so much more about Buffy being introduced to the initiative than it is about that demon. That demon's not a metaphor for anything. He's just a tool, like an right. actual tool that they're going to cut off his arm and use it as a tool. <laughs> um, so that is interesting. I like I, But again, I think to this season's credit, I haven't even noticed that shift. Like, again, the beginning of this season was pretty shaky. There are some things that didn't transition perfectly. And we know that this, like the resolution isn't going to be great, but they've done so much like nice pacing and like character building in this season. I'm really impressed with it. Well, and I think it's an interesting thing too, where almost the, the core cast is sort of becoming the, the monsters of the week, you know, like where it's not just random things. Like it's Oz who's, you know, not just Veruca, but also Oz, who's kind of the problem mm-hmm. in Wild at Heart. And then Giles is this demon that's wreaking havoc on everything in yeah. um, in a new, new man, man, even though it ultimately is Ethan. And then you have the initiative well, stepping in for a lot of it. But also, like, something blue. It's Willow is the problem. Right. And, well, and even the Halloween episode, there is a demon that's causing it, but they're the ones that are having all the interactions with each other. Exactly. Yeah, Like, that's there is sort of a – it's a different approach to yeah. – which Monster in some ways week. is kind of, I don't know, again, I'm probably giving way more credit than is due, right? <laughs> but I think it totally fits with this idea of growing up and I like, agree, I you agree. have to kind of face that sometimes you're the cause of your own problems. Like yeah. it's not just these things that happen to you and you're passively going through no, high yeah. school and like encountering things. It's like, sometimes you're the problem. Well, now I'm trying to think of like, what are the main weekly 
storylines in season five, I don't remember right now, but I'm excited to kind of follow this through line, you know? Yeah. It is always going to be monster of the week a little bit, but it's also, I feel like thinking about it, it is going to be that a lot less. I think it becomes more serialized more quickly as we go along. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like we saw the initiative in the first episode of this season. So yeah, just something that just occurred to me. So maybe. (sighs) Well, okay. Maybe they're just running out of ideas. That could be the other thing. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, again, how many ideas, how, how many, you can't keep telling the story, which is monsters are a metaphor for teenage uh, adolescence when your characters aren't going to be adolescents anymore. Exactly. Not to say that adulthood doesn't have its own, like, huge selection of demons to pick from, but, yeah. But maybe sometimes the problem is that you're going about solving your problems the wrong way, right? Like, even in this episode, we're going to see, as it leads into the next one, like, the problem is, obviously, faith is the, the... big bad but then the next crisis they have to deal with and I keep saying big bad and I mean demon of the week but whatever (laughs) um but the the crisis then that they have to deal with next is a direct result of a poor choice that Faith made where she Mm -hmm. feels like it's a good choice but like ultimately in the long run it wouldn't be and um Hmm. you know it's like but also at the at the far end of this like full circle all of this dealing with Faith is a direct consequence of Buffy's actions at the end of last season right right so oof that might be a good place to end. Uh, no, I have things to say still. <laughs> Stop it. I'm sorry. I have a whole bunch more notes. I told you I had a lot. Okay. This, Time uh, this, for the fashion. This will be quick. Yeah, exactly. This will be quick. Um, I love Buffy's sweater. I would wear that in a heartbeat. In fact, I'm going to try and figure out how to knit one myself. It the looks brown so, one? Yeah. It looked just like a Twinkle Knits from that knitting book that came out like 10 years ago that I'm sure you remember because why don't you remember every knitting book that ever came out? Anyway, uh, it was I think chunky. you showed them all to me, so I should prob- remember. <laughs> probably, but it was a chunky, simple knit, and I loved it. Willow, on the other hand, had a whole... Oh. I don't even know what was happening on that sweater. I kind of thought it was Charlie Brown for a second, but it wasn't. It was just a weird applique on a knit sweater. It was a knit applique on a knit sweater of kids in sleeping bags, maybe? I don't know what it was. It's maybe, the worst then- thing she's ever worn, I think. She I had the weird hat, too. Oh, my God. I didn't even notice the hat. I was so focused on the sweater. I was trying to see it in every single scene. <laughs> I couldn't even take that face. Like, Faith shows up on campus, and this is really cool scene. I like that scene a lot. I think the fight sequence was pretty cool. But, like, Willow is wearing this terrible sweater in the background, and I, like, almost couldn't stop thinking about it. Oh, man. Did you have other fashion notes? I guess they brought up her kerchief again. Riley showed up with it crumpled in his hand. That was nice. Yeah, he did. But uh, also just um, I felt like in that scene where Willow and Tara are kind of on Faith Patrol, mm-hmm. um, like they're both wearing just like very like 2000s. Very like outfits of that time. Yeah, like, totally. You know, the like linen like baggy pants that are kind of cargo at the same time and like <laughs> skirt, you know. Willow's got that weird long skirt on, so. So I was watching uh, a lot of Bones last weekend, because <laughs> I just do that sometimes. Uh, I started a season one. It's because the first time that I started watching Bones, I needed some background um, TV to watch while I painted my room. And then I'm painting our, we're painting our apartment now, so I was like, I know, I'll watch Bones. Um, anyway, both the guy who plays Forrest and the mayor are in season one of Bones. Because we were watching this and I saw Forrest's face and I was like, oh my God, he, that's right. He was in that episode of Bones. He played a lawyer. And then I was like, wait a minute, wait, or was it him or was it the mayor? And then I thought about it and the mayor was also in an episode playing a crooked plastic surgeon. Well. It was great. 
The Whedonverse is very extensive throughout a lot of primetime television. I kind of forget about that sometimes, but then every once in a while I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, you're in all the Veronica Mars, you're like all the, um, what's that guy's name? Who does Veronica Mars? Rob Thomas, like all the Rob Thomas universe is overlapped with the Whedon universe, the Bones universe is overlapped with it, the How I Met Your Mother universe, like all of it. It's just one cesspool. Of actors. I don't know if you're done, but that is an excellent segue into it the is. Angel I'm done. episode. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> uh, okay. Wait, why? What is Kate in? She's in Jane the Virgin, but that's not a Wheaton tie-in that I know of. Uh, it's There's a Firefly tie-in. Oh, right. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I literally screamed out at my I know. computer. I can't believe I didn't it's know It's Darla was... and Mrs. Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you might have confused it for a Mad Men crossover, it, yeah. but not in this universe. Yeah. Shoot, what's her name? Christina Hendricks. Christina Hendricks, yeah. yeah. She's, she's in this episode um, of Angel. But I don't know, Jenny, I, I'm waiting for the green light. Are we going to yes, talk about good. this? I, like, don't want to. I feel like I drew the short straw here, but... Um, I mean, I just literally don't know. An, I watched the whole episode. I watched it last night, and I don't know enough about what happened to even explain it. So... <sighs> Just I'm sort you, of in the same boat, but I'm going to go with it. Okay, well, we could do it together if you want, but... I think I'm just going to try to keep it just short keep it brief, yeah. and sweet. So this is called The Prodigal, and it's essentially, like, the theme of, like, well, from Angel's perspective, like, yeah. father and son, but Bad I guess also mirroring, like, father and daughter, although I didn't really understand because neither story no. was really that similar, but um, we have these parallel plot lines running throughout of, um, you know, Angel runs across Kate again as she's discovering, like, demons are causing more crime in the city than she mm-hmm. would ever have guessed. Yeah. Um, but um, her father shows up at this crime scene, and she's excited because she thinks that he's checking up on her or wants to just visit her. But Angel soon discovers that it's actually because he's working for this crime organization (laughs) and they wanted Uh him to grab a package from the subway um and angel you know tails him throughout and discovers that he's working for okay this is the other part and i'm sorry to interject the summary but they never really finished this part of the story yeah but he's somehow working for a crime syndicate that's like harvesting adrenal glands or something and like demons are like using it like drugs or something so it's essentially like demonic drug smugglers sure um but two of the guys that he's working with are vampires and they ultimately like decide that her father knows too much and like they kill him and Angel's there when it happens and he can't stop it because he's not invited into the apartment and mm-hmm. it's this whole thing. Um, so Kate eventually comes along and discovers her father's dead and like obviously she's just started getting used to the idea that like vampires and demons exist and now vampires have killed her father and she encounters this demon guy who's been dealing all the drugs and so... I, like I don't really remember what is this? Yeah. more than that, but that that's that's one track that's happening. So then the other plot thread is this whole time Angel is remembering his you know bad relationship with his father. We see more of Angel like basically drinking his way through his early twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in Ireland, so we get a return of that godforsaken accent. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, and then we also see, like, from from a different perspective of Darla for seeing Angel and then kind of marking him as a target, turning him. And then we see Angel's subsequent, like, rampage through the village and killing the entire village and then ultimately his family. Mm-hmm. Um, he kills his sister and his father. And, and I think the idea is, like, it's supposed to be just showing his bad relationship he had with his father um, and somehow comparing that to Kate's relationship with hers but I don't think it nope. works and that's where we're gonna end because that's all I can do is give yeah. <laughs> a, this is what happened but like I think. I think ultimately this is one of the least successful episodes of I Angel. mean it because I really is they're and trying it, to set up some sort of like allegory between the two stories but they literally have nothing alike no and, and the thing I think that really was was driving me up the wall was that like I mean, I'm on Angel's side. I like Angel. But when they're showing these, like, interactions with his dad, his dad is basically saying, like, hey, stop drinking every night and sleeping around with every woman in town. And Angel acts like his dad is saying something really horrible to him. And I'm like, well, Angel, you're kind of a mess. So, like, that your dad is is being critical and disciplinary to you doesn't seem out of line. So it's, like, hard for me to... I, clearly, the way that his dad, the guy who was playing his dad, acted, it, like, gave him the air of, like, being very... You know, like, he was mean or abusive to Angel, or I guess I should call him Liam, Um you know, it gave it that air, but, like, nothing that actually happened made me feel like Angel wasn't just being brat, you know? No, <laughs> like, like yeah, he's, maybe get he's, a job, buddy. Like, take care of your family. <laughs> even when he's a vampire and he's deciding to go after his father and sort of this idea of um, revenge, like, his whole thing is, like, I was never going to be good enough for him. He decided yeah, when I was like, young that I wasn't that. good. But it's, like, you've never acted, from what I can tell, yeah. in a way that would, like give him anything to be proud of. Like, what have you done? Like, okay, and you it's woke not up before like, noon today. Yeah, like, and it's not even like he, they they didn't even show like a moment. You know, I feel like the other way they could have done this is like show him like being really nice to someone or like show that he has a really good heart even if his like, he can't get his act together. You know what I mean? But it was like, yeah. he was rude to the bar waitresses. <laughs> He's clearly using women left and right and then like never calling them again or whatever the, you know, old Irish equivalent is, but like, he's not nice either. Yeah. And like, I don't, just kind I don't of a really waste. understand the parallel that we're supposed to see. Because, well, exactly. Like, because if it's any- obviously, I think the comparison is like, you never really understand the relationship you have with your parents. Maybe because it's two sided, but like, I, I don't get it because no, like it's, it's kind it of either. in some way, like you have Kate and Angel, two people who were never able to please their fathers. But it doesn't appear that that's truly the case with Kate. It's just that he was, like, kind of distant and, like, now he's, like, resorting to crime or something. But But that's also, like, a lot to throw in an episode that is, like, is this about her relationship with her father or is this about her father's, like, late late in life acceptance of the crime syndicate life? Like, what is this episode about? But it doesn't really seem to be the case that, like, Kate can't please her father. Like, he doesn't seem disappointed in her or... He doesn't in this episode, but I do feel like they established that in the last episode that he was in. Maybe. Because that whole thing was about how, like, she... That part, I think, I would have given them, except that, again... It has no actual parallel to what's going on in the Angel storyline. Other than they keep saying, you know, father, maybe they've said that a lot. But, like, 
Yeah. That doesn't get well, you Well, and anywhere. then there's the whole sidetrack right, of, like, of these demons that are going oh, crazy. And then it's like, but they're peaceful. We don't know why they're doing this. And it's like, I feel like that storyline just, like, stops. Well, and, right. Like, and, like, were they being drugged or were they drug? Were they seeking out the drugs on their own? Because it kind because of Because we seemed, never really find out. Yeah. And, I mean, we do get the return of the wrist stakes, so I suppose there's... One good thing okay, that comes I out of this. I did like that scene a lot. Uh, yeah. Not just because of the wrist stakes, but because, as I've said several times on this show, I do think David Boreanaz is a wonderful action star. I'm a, Actually, I was watching even that scene in this terrible episode that I hated, and I was still like, man, why isn't he like a big action movie star? Well, not movies, he's but he's in re- Navy well, SEALs He's or whatever. been really successful, but I'm actually, now that I'm thinking about it, a little bit surprised that he didn't even make the jump into film. Like, arguably now in 2018, is it 2018? In 2018, <laughs> sorry, you know I have this problem where I like, whatever, that's not important. Um, uh, in 2018, it's just as prestigious to work, and I don't know that it's as lucrative to work in TV as it is to work in movies, but it's just as prestigious, but I'm still a little bit surprised that he didn't quite make that jump. I don't know, man. All I'm saying is that when they bust in on those drug demon lords or whatever, and he just like, he gives a very particular like turn of the turn of his body that is just like, oh, I'm action hero angel now. And I buy it every single time. It is great. And and so, I mean, I don't want to totally crap all over this episode because mm, I do, but I still fair. don't understand what happened, but I, but there are, okay, I do. So I, now I do really want to talk about the one thing that I was like watching this episode and I was like, you know what? Was it Wesley? I can't in all good conscience really like recommend this episode to anyone, but there's a one side of it that like, I think the writers figured out fairly early on that Angel was more interesting in the context of like his history and his past and like why that informs his present and like, like all his stuff with his father. I feel like, I feel like part of the reason this doesn't really work for me is we've already kind of touched on this with Angel, right? Like he's already admitted that he was basically worthless as a human. Yeah. So like, why do we care if we're, are we supposed to be feeling sympathetic for him? Like it's really unclear. I think that was, and that was the problem, right? Is is that it seemed like the episode wanted to garner sympathy for his, but Angel's not sympathetic towards that person. So why should he be? And and also like, like I said, they didn't point to any single thing that he had ever done that made him sympathetic. So it's like, it works a lot better. I agree that when they're using his backstory to inform why he feels so much guilt now. Yeah. But, but I, it but I do think sense. that this really carries on. I mean, we've seen a little bit of it as Angel has begun and also some of it in Buffy. But, mm-hmm. you know, I I forgot that Darla showed up. Me too. This early. Um, uh, spoiler. She shows up, but she's here and we get to, like, kind of build out her first yeah. encounters with Angel. Yeah. And, you know, the flashback well is something that on a lot of shows can get kind of old. Mm-hmm. But I think on Angel it actually works as this kind of parallel story that really helps to inform the present especially as we get into later seasons where it's really important to understand like these character histories and yeah I was totally like oh like okay I can watch this I can be fine with it even if the stuff with his father was a little bit underdeveloped and like unclear Mm -hmm. like everything he did with Darla was amazing I did like that yeah you're right and I did mean to say that that I did enjoy the in general, I enjoy the flashbacks as well. And mm. I did 
again, it's like, yeah, where these episodes like kind of lose it is it's like, well, you're not tying this well into the primary storyline. And also a lot of the things about this background storyline in particular don't make sense. Like the things that worked worked pretty well, but then so much of it was just so fuzzy. I do want to take one second to just say (laughs) that Angel did really horrible things in this episode. Angel the Vampire. Uh, he uh, murdered his little be... sister. Oh yes, and yes, yes. his whole family and the whole town, and that was pretty bad. I'm just saying, Angel is a bad guy too. And also that we learned that that's how it... he got his name was because right, his, sister his sister thought that oh, he was an angel. That's so sad. Oh god, yeah. Um, but again, but we knew like Angel. Backstory Angel wasn't... was bad. So well, we do, but sometimes we. I'm using forget. quotations when I say that. Yeah. Forget how bad Angel also was. Yeah. Because it's, we're so, sort of, like, you kind of have to, no, no, to, like, no. buy you know, into, like, this whole I'm just making thing. a little spike case right now. Angel's very bad, too. I am just not going there, but. <laughs> <laughs> he murdered um, his own sister. <laughs> he I did. Um, but that was a different angel than the one that we know. <sighs> um, <laughs> okay, that's fine. But I, uh, I also want to talk about. As, as muddy as this whole story was, <laughs> like the scene at the end where Angel is just so desperately trying to get into the apartment oh, and he yeah, can't, yeah. And, and he realizes that those guys are vampires. Before I even did, I was like, "Why? Why?" Mm-hmm. Is, and then they turn, and you're like, "Oh!" And then it's also really heartbreaking because he knows he can't get in there until her father's dead, and you see him right. burst through the door, and you yeah, know, yeah. "Oh, there's not going to be a happy ending here." Like her father's right. dead, and and he kills the vampires, but. It's still, it's, it's a little tragic, but I also, it also felt like, again, like a failure of like, we're clearly supposed to care deeply about this. Right. And, and I it's don't. It's sad, but I literally don't care. <laughs> no. And I mean, it, and like you were saying, I, Kate does have good reason to be very upset at the end of this episode. It's a, but it's a weird send off for her character because as far as I re- recall, is it a she's not, I can't remember. I don't think she's in it anymore. I think this is her last episode. Maybe I'll be proven I, wrong, but if it is, then it's like, that's what I always remembered when we were watching the earlier episodes with Kate is like, Oh yeah. Except for that one time when angel doesn't do anything wrong and she gets so mad at him that she literally never speaks to him again. Like, I guess also cognitively I can understand that as a, as a real world reaction to this but in the show where characters are supposed to kind of grow and like have you know have arcs together it didn't it just doesn't make sense to me like she just at this episode was starting I no that's not even what I want to say she should have already known all this stuff was happening like there's just no way she could have been the like top of her game detective that we're supposed to believe that she is and she's never acknowledged that this supernatural life is going on in LA all the time like I just don't buy it so like she's in complete denial about it and she takes it all out on Angel who she also simultaneously has been having like a fictitious romance with this whole time like what are you (laughs) you know I feel like on another show the Kate angle would be Angel and his investigative agency are like you know, fighting these demons in LA and slowly the local cop discovers there's more to the crime scenes than what she imagines. And she's slowly getting into it and then like becoming part of the team. That's what any other show would have done. This is more of a like, oh, I saw this happen. That can't really be what happened. Wait, you're telling me this is what happened. I'm just going to go over here and shove my like face in a corner until it goes away. And like, like she doesn't want to pursue the case because she's like, oh, it's a demon. I don't care. She doesn't want to, like, and then until she kind of thinks about it and she's like, oh, well, 
here's this info that I have, but like, it kind of seems like she's just going to use this as another excuse to kind of just keep burying yeah. her head in the sand and like yeah. pretending it's not real. I, without doing any research, I believe this is not the last we see of Kate, but I cannot confirm that. Uh. Um, but I also just don't, I don't want, I mean, I can see why this didn't really go anywhere in terms of the show because. Oh, you're right. She they, is in another episode. They never really knew mm. what to do with her. And I mean, their it's approach true. to her was bizarre. So like, I just don't. I don't think she was ever well used. Because, like, we've talked about this before. On paper, yeah. she should be a great character. Yeah. But in actuality, she just stops the show in its tracks every time she, like, shows up. So. Yeah, and and they just could never get it right. I think she could have been an interesting romantic interest for, for Angel, but they just never wrote it in a way that made me care. Or that they ever had any real intent of doing that. Yeah, like, I don't think they did either. I mean... Because they always kind of dance around it, but not in a way that makes you think either character ever thought that was a possibility. No, I think they dance around it in a way that makes me feel like Kate totally thinks it's a possibility. And Angel is completely oblivious to it, which is very frustrating as a viewer. I think it would have been... They could have just eschewed the issue altogether, and that would have been fine. But that she's well, always making these comments about it. And then even in this episode, her dad is like, oh, that guy you were dating. It was like, they're not dating... I understand why her dad would say that, but like, yeah, they're always pushing. She is always making little comments about that. She is, but I think it's clear that like once she found out she he's a vampire, like she's not. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, she had still been saying that stuff even when she was talking to her dad in this episode. She was kind of like, well, maybe if you like him, like what? No, she's saying like she's not his. She's trying to explain it to him in a way Mm -hmm. that makes sense, and she's like, well, we're just not each other's type. Meaning, I didn't buy what she was saying. I did, but that's. That's neither here nor there because we never really go down this way. But, like, um, yeah, I – just another unsuccessful outing for Kate. Um, okay. Ironically, though, another episode heavy on the flashbacks because she, we last saw her in that episode with Jeremy Renner where we get a little flashback of Angel and uh, his pr- progeny. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I do want to briefly mention, I want to, I don't know if I have much more to say about this, but a happy note of Uh Cordelia was just delightful in this episode. That's exactly where Um, I was going. That whole scene with the security alarm was great. She has a great plan for getting people to remember her birthday. I really like it. I'm sold on it. (laughs) (laughs) But also like they finally get the security thing working and it keeps going off and she's like, I'm unplugging this because it's like obviously super annoying to be under attack constantly and have alerts like bathroom window is yeah. open. <laughs> but also Wesley, who obviously was perfect in this episode because he's perfect, period. Um, I had, there was, I must have been when he was dissecting the demon um, and like figuring out that they were drugged or whatever. And I just like wrote down this note that was like, oh, he's like a little cartoon character. Like he had like little weird goggles on or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it was just so charming. But like it was a sort of cartoonishness that like makes sense in this supernatural universe. Yeah, and, and I love just, the scene where he's, like, <laughs> saying women are kind of delicate, and then we see Cordelia just hacking that demon apart. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, they're so great. I mean, and again, I think we've said this a thousand times already, but, like, the times when these episodes have been stronger has been when they focused on the actual good ensemble that they finally but have. this and- is what is crazy to me, is, like, 
Cordelia and Wesley and even Angel are evidence that these writers can write a character and yes. they can write them really well. So why are they why wasting didn't time? They bother, or why didn't they bother to do that? Because yeah, I think Kate, yeah. the, the character of Kate, like we talk about, like on paper should be great. I don't think it's necessarily an acting issue. I don't know if it's like yeah, a character I issue. Know. It's just an, it, they never. It, I just get the sense that they never really put that much effort into her. Like yeah. it's all but then feels why? like lazy kind of rehashing tropes and like yeah. you know like you can kind of see where the story is going every single time. Like there's no surprises. It's just boring because we've seen it before and it just feels lazy in a way that like the show usually doesn't. Yeah, and then I, and but to that point, why build whole episodes around her if she was always? They keep be this, trying. They're like yeah, like Jenny, they're she, trying to make fetch happen. They like, are. They just, are. This is not going to happen. <laughs> no, it's not. Like. And I think they eventually realize that, but it, it is takes them just, so long. Oh my god! It is like they try like four or five times, and it's like, please just stop. Like this is not going to happen. There have got to be new characters showing up soon, right? Oh, oh no! Uh, not in the next so. one. We're, when we're does Gun see- show up? Hmm? I said, when does Gun show up? Is he not in it until season two? Season two. Oh man, I thought he was. In this we season. are going to meet Lila soon. Okay. But That'll not in good. the next episode, but in the next couple. <sighs> yeah. I know it's getting. I mean, this is the thing. This is what we were talking about. Like, it's so frustrating. Like, because I know, I There's know so that eventually I'm coming. going to be so happy about the show, <laughs> and it's going to be amazing. I just, I think, and I think we've talked about this before, where slowing it down for this kind of episodic rewatch is like really throwing into relief like oh yeah just how slow the show is to get going to the point where i'm kind of like shocked that this show got a second season yeah <laughs> like were people still watching at this point they must have been i i, I guess i mean i was but like whatever i just <laughs> i my memories of angel i think like i have so overwritten season 1 out of my brain like mm-hmm. Or, or I think I'm, I've been sort of mashing seasons one and two together, and a I lot think, of what yeah. I thought was season one is in fact season two. Yeah. So we're we're so close. Like we're on the cusp, and I think we have next week. We have one more downbeat, and then it will get better. Okay. I don't know. Only because I saw like the promo photos, and I was like, "Ugh, I don't." Yeah, I don't remember anything about the next episode, but it doesn't look promising. <laughs> I feel like I don't hate it, but I don't. I'm basing that off of nothing. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, on that note, I look forward to next week. <laughs> I mean, I do really look forward to Buffy. I mean, yeah. Like, um, I've I've got um who are you like Mm -hmm. in my sights and I'm so ready to just be happy. And then I'm ready to be surprised by angel. Whatever happens, (laughs) whatever happens this, it can't be worse than this, right? No. Well, Kate's not in it. So probably it's fine. It can't be worse than this. So (laughs) (laughs) exactly. I feel very, it's, it's an interesting dynamic as like, I think we are clear in that we watch the show and Buffy because we love it, but also we, we are appreciative of the more, feminist elements as well and it feels odd to be hating on a character who is probably supposed to be the like feminist type character on the show but it's just it's an example of like you can call something feminist but if you don't do it well then Then it's not yeah 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 so on that note um 
Yeah. Um, okay, so next week, like we said, uh, Who Are You and The Ring is, I believe, mm-hmm. the Angel episode. Looking forward to those. Yeah. Do you have any pop culture this week? Oh, I don't. But I do have one more it thing. It sounded like you did. No, but I just remembered a thing that I forgot to say in the Faith, ep- in the faith episode. So All right. That's so what we I'm will, gonna... instead of a downbeat, we'll no, go no, back no. to Buffy. Look, I can, tie, I, can, I can make it happen. Check this out. So um, obviously in this episode, the like tip off at the very end that um, Faith and Buffy have switched bodies is that the Buffy body says five by five, which is like mm-hmm. Faith's signature catchphrase or whatever. I was watching Aliens, plural, the second movie, uh a couple weeks ago on Easter because that's my Easter tradition is that I dye eggs and watch aliens. I started it last year. It's a callback to one year when we did it when I was a teenager. My brother made me watch aliens on Easter. Uh, There are eggs, so it's sort of relevant, but mostly it's just a good excuse to watch aliens, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, While we were watching it, one of the pilot characters, I I mean, this isn't actually that weird, but um, one of the pilots, one of the characters who is a pilot says five by five, in the in the context of like checking her radio signals which is what that phrase is from but i decided that i think that that's probably where joss whedon got it from because aliens is a super it's totally buffy dna of like and a very i'm certain that aliens specifically the second one and probably both of them were were influential on him because it is very much well super here i'm sorry badass females fighting space monsters which is like sort of similar do you not know then that joss whedon actually is one of the credited screenwriters of alien 4 i did know that uh i have no opinion because i've only seen the first two but Uh, of course it had an impact on him because okay But right, but I guess what I'm saying is like I literally heard her say that and both Alex and I were like, oh my God, that's probably where he got it for, for Faith. Again, it's a real thing that people say in the real world, but I would bet money that that was where he got it from. Yeah, I was watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. the other day and someone said that too. And I was like, it's always going to be a Faith thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, watch Aliens if you never have. It's one of the greatest movies that's ever been made. It's wonderful. (laughs) Watch the director's cut. I don't always agree with director's cuts, but this is one where it makes the movie better. And I don't love everything that James... I actually don't love anything that James Cameron does now, but he made some real badass movies for a minute there. Hey, Terminator Terminator is is the other one. We watched that at Christmas, and I was like, this movie is fantastic. And I... Every time I watch it, it's even better. I remember the first time I watched it, I was, like, blown away. Because it is not at all what I expected, and I was like... Yeah. Holy crap, this is an action movie romance. But that's how I, that's how Aliens is too. Oh, also the same guy is in it. What's his name? Michael Bean. He's another guy who I like has somehow escaped having a like mega career in Hollywood because he's such a good action star. Um, oh, that was um Kyle Reese, yeah, right? He's yeah. also the sort of love interest in Aliens. It's not a very prominent part of the storyline for good reason, but it is there. Yeah. And he's really cool. And obviously Sigourney Weaver is like amazing. Yeah. Um, oh, is okay. that your pop culture? Yes. All so right. that's how I tied it in together. It wasn't going to be, but why not? As any day is a good day to talk about aliens. Yeah. Um, Alien. I will pile on and pretend that Terminator was mine. <laughs> <laughs> also, you can watch aliens without having watched alien. I mean, it's better if you've seen them both, but the first one is scarier. The second one is a, is still scary, but it's a lot more action than scary. Mm-hmm. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. So this great new movie Terminator, that's what you're recommending. Yep. It is is really It is great. I mean, it's, you know, I think it's one of those rare movies, like old action movies, where, like, 
the practical effects are so mm-hmm. primitive that it also still works now because like it's not like over reliant on like weird clunky like early stages CGI mm-hmm. or anything like it's just like some like you know it's like a makeup job so yeah yeah. Um, also, the story is just a really tightly written action story. And Linda it's Hamilton great. is great, too. Oh, she's fantastic, too. Um, but it's like, it's not, it doesn't go off in weird places. Like, mm-hmm. it has a clearly defined, like, beginning, middle, and end, and it's entertaining the entire way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great love story along the way, mm. um, if that makes movies better for you. And it's awesome. So it it's ruined, you know, like a lot of these movies by subsequent sequels but mm-hmm. um i think i'm the rare person who's not in love with terminator 2 but no i also i like it but it's not better than terminator no not by a long shot aliens is better than alien i have only seen both once so that's and I, but i have seen alien 4 like 10 times <laughs> okay, so. i did not know that about you <laughs> um one summer we were at our grandmother's i don't know if it was summer or like a christmas we were like staying with our grandmother for like an extended period during some holiday break and she had like cable but she only had like a couple movie channels or something and Mm -hmm. it was like some weird thing where like this one movie channel just played alien four like over and over Mm -hmm. and over and like we just always had it on like not even because i think we like particularly liked it but it's (laughs) entirely possible this was like the only thing on tv like really funny i don't remember why that happened but i have seen it many many times so years later, when I discovered Joss Whedon had a writing credit on that, that was uh, entertaining. <laughs> okay, so let's see. This week, I... Oh, oh my God. A tough week for this. Ooh, uh, you I'm know an, what? Team Joyce. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Damn it. I said it first. <laughs> I was just going to try and cut you off, and you got it out at the last second. For her unwavering faith in Buffy. <laughs> Agreed. And her taunting of faith. Yes. Um, okay, cool. well, I will talk to you next time. And Great. Here's, here's, here's to a better experience with Angel. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. I just don't want to sound so negative. Anymore. I know, me neither. Yeah. But we're positive right, well, about some other things. Here's to positivity okay. next week. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. All right, bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.